Does DNA support the theory of evolution? Francis Crick was a Nobel laureate and co-discoverer of the structure of DNA. This discovery of DNA was confirmed in the 1980s, after some 25 years from the model of DNA to go from being plausible to being virtually correct, according to Crick. While this book does not agree with the following theory, it is interesting to note that Crick did not relate DNA to evolution at all, but suggested the concept of panspermia, that the Earth was deliberately seeded with life by intelligent aliens. Crick also asserted of DNA that the organized complexity found at the cellular level could not have arisen by pure chance. Crick and his co-discoverer, James Watson, determined that the structure of DNA was a double helix polymer in the shape of a spiral staircase or twisted rope ladder consisting of two DNA strands wound around each other. There is still much to learn about DNA, which carries the genetic information of a cell and consists of thousands of genes. However, some 97 or 98% of our DNA consists of meaningless garble, without apparent function. These sections are known as junk DNA or non-coding DNA. Along the strands of DNA are occasional sections that control and organize vital functions, and these are called genes. Genes are basically the instructions to make proteins which perform important tasks for cell functions or serve as building blocks for the cell. The combination of genes is also known as the human genome, which is effectively an instruction manual for the human body. The configuration of the DNA molecule is highly stable and allows for it to replicate new DNA molecules. It does so by separating into two single strands, each of which serves as a template for a new strand. However, it seems that the theory of evolution finds neither a friend nor support in the much-heralded science of today, that of DNA. As Jeremy Narby writes in The Cosmic Serpent, DNA is self-duplicating and transmits its information to proteins. Biologists concluded that information could not flow back from the proteins to DNA. Therefore, genetic variation could only be from errors in the duplication process. These mutations, a mistake during the replication process, seem to belie the intention of natural selection or an exact or progressive science of evolution. Narby goes on to quote the microbiologist James Shapiro, who says, In fact, there are no detailed accounts for the evolution of any fundamental biochemical or cellular system, only a variety of wishful speculations. It is remarkable that Darwinism is accepted as a satisfactory explanation for such a vast subject, evolution, with so little rigorous examination of how well its basic theses work in illuminating specific instances of biological adaptation or diversity. DNA mutations are generally mistakes, failures of the DNA to accurately copy information. They are usually neutral or negative. It seems that this is not the primary mechanism that it needs to be, rather like the dynamic forces of natural selection in evolutionist theory. Bill Bryson has also written on this matter. He states that DNA is particularly unimpressive as evidence for the evolution of man. The amount of genetic material and how it is organized does not reflect the level of sophistication of the human species. We as a species have 46 chromosomes, but some ferns have 600. The lungfish, which is one of the least evolved of all complex animals, actually has 40 times as much DNA as we have.
The Human Genome Project thought that we possessed some 100,000 genes. However, it was rather disappointing that the number is more like 35 to 40,000 genes, just about the same as grass. Indeed, human DNA shows signs of having passed through an extremely long and peaceful evolution, which is inconsistent with an evolutionary split from the apes some six million years ago. Relating these comments on DNA to the complexity of the eye, Darwin himself was confounded by the fact that the intricate biochemistry must exist in a complete state, and that the complex biochemistry of vision cannot be reduced to its component parts. It is not my intention here to refute Darwin's claims, nor the scientific tenets previously mentioned. I think that they should be viewed as feasible and in context relevant, but certainly not taken as absolute. However, to hear some scientists speak, one could be led to believe that it is absolute fact. As Einstein suggested, one should rely on one's own knowledge. He said, let every man judge according to his own standards and by what he himself has read and not by what others tell him. And that, of course, includes this book. There are enough sources cited so that the listener can seek confirmation for themselves to their own satisfaction.